Our scripture this morning comes from Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 15. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a claim, uh, complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in the one body, and be thankful. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This morning, uh, we continue our sermon series based on Adam Hamilton's book, Forgiveness, with uh, chapter 2, For Better or For Worse. Do you remember that theme song from Married with Children? Love and marriage, love and marriage, goes together like a horse and carriage. This I tell you, brother, you can't have one without the other. Love and marriage, love and marriage goes together like a horse and carriage. Four years into my marriage, I think that the lyrics to this song is missing one more thing. Conflict. Let's be real. A marriage is not complete without love and conflict. In fact, we go through conflict in all of our close relationships once in a while. It doesn't matter how much we have in common with someone. Still, there are so many differences in experiences and different ways of looking at life. We all have different needs. Also, if we didn't care so much about the relationship, we wouldn't put the effort into it to even have a fight. The fight, um, because we fight because we find the relationship important enough to fight. We, if we understand this, it makes perfect sense that our marriages and other close relationships would simultaneously be our most rewarding and the most difficult relationships in our lives. Jane uh, taught us last week that in the midst of relationships, there are those small rocks we carry around, those petty disappointments and annoyances. When you get married, you start to notice all the small and petty things that bother you that your partner does. You know, that um, he keeps buying the chunky peanut butter instead of the smooth one, that she keeps putting toilet paper on the toilet paper holder so that it dispenses in the wrong direction, that he squeezes the toothpaste tube from the middle and leaves the opening a mess every time, the sound that she makes when she chews her food, not placing the remote back on the coffee table so you have to go constantly digging for them in the couch cushions, she keeps drinking out of the milk carton and even puts it back after it's all gone. Now, notice I didn't say he leaves the toilet seat up. I think in marriage, I've learned that this might be more of a medium rock thing. Individually, they may be small rocks, but they can really add up. These rocks create gaps that divide us in an intimate relationship. Of course, there are also medium-sized rocks. 
leaving the toilet seat up, neglect, hurtful words, persistent insensitivity, public embarrassment, dishonesty and deceit, failure to love, cherish, build up, and bless. Instead of creating gaps in our relationships, though, these bigger rocks build stone walls. These rocks make for a heavy load. And with our spouses and other close relationships, we don't wear these backpacks on our backs. Rather, we wear them on our front. Um, and you could see if you're wearing these on your front, what would happen when two people in a relationship with these bags try to embrace? The weight of the backpack not only makes breathing, talking, and walking difficult, the rocks we carry make loving difficult because we become the, they become the walls between us. With small rocks, we might easily choose to let them go. Some of us are better at that than others. But with the medium rocks, the bigger hurts, we may think it more just to seek revenge. This is the kind of thing that we say in marriage. You've hurt me so many times, I'm going to hurt you now. I know what your needs are, but why should I meet them when you don't meet mine? I know this will hurt, but after the way you've hurt me, you deserve it. Don't we just know how to hurt those that are closest to us? We know their vulnerable spots. In this way, we put rocks in each other's backpacks. Instead of loving one another, we punish one another. But when we practice this eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth kind of justice, we all end up blind and toothless. In the scripture we read this morning, which, by the way, many couples choose to have it read during their wedding ceremony, the Apostle Paul gets real. First, he describes how Christians are supposed to live in, Christian, uh, in a community with one another. Paul writes, clothe yourselves, meaning this should be our first response towards others. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Compassion, meaning the act of putting yourself in your partner's shoes of feeling what he or she is feeling. Kindness, which means performing the thoughtful acts that bless and encourage your partner with no expectation of something in return. Humility, respecting your partner as a human being and seeking to put his or her needs before your own. Meekness, being gentle with your partner. Patience, endurance and long-suffering, a willingness to bear with unpleasantness. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. What if we lived up to all of these prescriptions? Wouldn't that be the kind of world we would all like to live in? If we lived like that, we wouldn't need forgiveness. But we need forgiveness because we aren't always compassionate, kind, humble, meek, and patient. Now, Paul knew this. He knew our human tendency to sin, to miss the mark. Oh yes, he knew that we were going to irritate and annoy each other. And so he continues, bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, 
Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Bear with one another. Sometimes that is the most love you can muster up. This is Paul's advice to the Colossians when conflict arises. Bear with one another. Forgive each other. So then, how do we go about achieving forgiveness in the context of marriage and other close relationships? According to Adam Hamilton, forgiveness is most freely and fully given when the one who has done the wrong follows these four steps of repentance. Repentance, first, begins with awareness. We become aware of the fact that something we have done has brought pain to our loved one. This step might come easier if the person who was wronged is also willing to say to the wrongdoer that he or she has been hurt. How many of us have been hurt by someone and have put rocks in our bags when the person that wronged us has no idea what he or she has done? If we don't say anything and hold a grudge, we are only hurting ourselves. Step two in the process of repentance is regret. We are much more likely to uh, be defensive than remorseful when someone makes us aware of something we have done wrong. We need to put ourselves in the shoe of the other. We need to apply the golden rule. How would you feel and what would you want to, uh, how would you want to be treated if the shoe was on the other foot? Once we have become aware of the rocks we have placed in the other's backpack and we have begun to understand the impact that heavy load has had on them, we are now ready to confess. And confession should sound something like this. I think I finally understand how you were affected by what I did. And I am very sorry. I didn't mean to hurt you, but I realized that I did. Would you please forgive me? A confession is not an opportunity to hash out the fault of both parties. That's not confession. Confession is about what we did wrong. A confession must also be longer uh, than a simple, sorry. Confession is about acknowledging, uh, fully acknowledging, the wrong you've done and earnestly asking for grace. And that has to be a complete sentence or two at least. What we are capable of implementing and improving on these three uh, first steps of repentance, awareness, regret, and confession, it's the last step that trips, uh, trips us up most of the time. That's because the last step of repentance is change. Last week, we learned that repentance in Greek means to change one's mind and turn in a different direction. If sin is stepping off the path God intends, Repentance is then getting back on that path. If we want to make our repentance complete, we must commit to change. Now, can we guarantee either to our loved one or to God for sure that we'll never do it again? I think the resounding answer is no. We are creatures of habit, after all. Change does not come easy. However, we can understand the harm we have caused and promise to do our best to not do it again. It's in the trying. 
The process of repentance is about removing the burdens caused by sin, the rocks out of our loved one's backpack and our own backpacks. Repentance helps both parties heal and leads to real and lasting change. Of course, once repentance is extended, still a decision of forgiveness needs to be made. It's no doubt extremely difficult at times to forgive. It must be said that sometimes forgiveness takes sheer willpower. If our loved one earnestly seeks our forgiveness and we reject them, if we decide that we really like those rocks and we want to keep them, the offended now becomes the offender. If we choose not to forgive, we then become responsible for the wall between us. And not forgiving is no better than creating the need for forgiveness in the first place. Now, while we have talked about small stone hurts and medium stone hurts uh, we carry in intimate relationships, I want to shift gears and also talk about the 40-pound boulders, the most serious sins people can commit against a partner in marriage. These much, much heavier wounds are caused by serious and persistent deceit, physical, psychological, and verbal abuse, addictions, and infidelity. Many relationships simply cannot withstand the aftermath of these kinds of sins, and rightly so. These grievances usually involve deep-seated issues that make change impossible without the intervention from counselors, support groups, or other experiences in in intentional and serious soul work. And I want to be extremely careful here and say that healing in these types of situations is not and does not have to be a continued married relationship. Sometimes divorce is required for safety and true healing. While Jesus didn't prescribe divorce, I believe he, all, he allowed it if the breach of trust was just too great. Now, with all that said, I also want to be clear to emphasize, as Adam Hamilton does, that even in such devastating circumstances, repentance and forgiveness can still be God's answer. Let me read for you a letter um, that Adam Hamilton includes in the book, written to him from a woman, uh, a woman who uh, went through such a process. I wasn't sure at first that I wanted to forgive my husband, but I decided to try. It helped that he admitted to the affair and said he wanted to work to rebuild our marriage. I thought at first that I should forgive him because it was the right and Christian thing to do. But at the same time, I argued with myself that I should walk away because it hurt too much. There wasn't a moment when I could say, okay, now I forgive him. Forgiving him was something that I had to decide to do daily, and it got easier over time. I don't think that my forgiving him was necessarily only for his sake. I needed to forgive him for my sake as well. Because if I didn't, my bitterness, hurt, and anger would have stayed in control of my actions and emotions. Besides forgiveness, 
we had to rebuild trust. In the, way beginning, in the very beginning, I wanted to know when it wouldn't hurt anymore and when I wouldn't think about it all the time, every day. And again, there wasn't a point in time that I could mark when it didn't hurt as much or when I wasn't thinking about it as much. But over time, it subsided. Therapy was another thing that helped us through um, to get us through because we realized that the problem was not the affair itself. That was only the presenting symptom of some underlying problem in our relationship. I think that was key to me being able to eventually forgive. The realization that although the affair wasn't my fault, I was at fault for some of the problems with our relationship. Now, here's a note uh, that Adam Hamilton received from a man who had actually cheated on his wife. As a person who ruined his marriage with infidelity, I can tell you that the pain never ends. Every day I am haunted by the actions that I took. At times I can feel forgiveness, and other times I still cannot believe what a terrible person I was. I know that God forgives even the worst of offenses, but I still have trouble forgiving myself. I pray for forgiveness every day, and for the people I hurt the most. Friends, carrying these backpacks is not God's intention. If you are the one who has been wronged, God wants your backpack. If you are the one who has done the wrong, God also wants your backpack too. God is the God of second chances after all. You can find life and joy as you bring those heavy, heavy stones to God. Falling in love is easy. Staying in love for a lifetime is found in the hard work of repentance and forgiveness. Let us go forward with these two phrases increasingly on our lips. I am sorry and I forgive you. Amen.